This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Knicks fans, how you doing? It's your boy John of the Macri with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School podcast. Uh, this is coming at you on a Monday, which means my co-host Jeremy Cohen is here. Um, I, I won't ask you how you doing because I I have a sense of what the answer is, but I, I will just say hi to you. Hello, <laughs> how are you? Oh, I'm okay. Um, so we we definitely have some Knicks stuff to talk about. Um, I, uh, and we'll, we'll get to it shortly, but, um, you know, it, so it, I don't know how, how you feel, uh, Jeremy, but it, the, you know, and I, look, I'm not going to say anything about the year 2020 that, that has been said repeatedly already, but I mean, j- you know, this show is almost two years old and I went from the first time I recorded an episode in October, I think it was October of 2018 all the way through, you know, January of this year. And I never felt, I, I, I distinctly recall never feeling conflicted about like, well, do I just go into basketball or should I talk about this other thing? Like there was never anything that happened in the world or in life that required me to even have that conversation with myself. And I feel like now this is the what fourth, fifth time where either me or uh, we are like have to have to talk about something else other than the Knicks because it's just that's where we're at. You know what I mean? I do. Yeah. I was actually talking with my mom earlier today and I thought, I don't know how far into this we can get because this is a Knicks podcast. It's not a political podcast. Um, and she's saying, well, you know, that's, that's what people are listening for. And I agree with her, obviously. Look, I mean, uh, John, you and I have both said this on and off the pod, just how appreciative we are of people who come to listen to us talk about a basketball team and without the people listening, I mean, we're just two guys. That's, that's really all we are. So we're literally all we are. (laughs) We're so incredibly appreciative of that. And we know how important people's time can be. And the fact that you give it to us means a lot to us. Um, but it's the sort of thing where, as I think more about it, it's it's just an extra few minutes that maybe we feel is necessary to talk about. Because, look, we could say that it has nothing to do with the Knicks. I don't think that would be accurate, though. And considering how we saw an entire strike go on, and it, it, politics has simply infiltrated basketball. And maybe it's always been the case, and we just have chosen to ignore it or not really care about it. Well, but, is that true though? Because I think 
isn't part of the conversation that it should happen now the fact that for many years um there i i think there's always an opportunity to let politics influence how you go about doing your job if you're a professional athlete or or i should say how um the like what you how you, how you it is up to you as a professional athlete to choose to engage with things that are going on in the world over most of like i feel like since the 60s and 70s most professional athletes have simply chosen not to engage now maybe you could say there was never anything warranted warranting that the the impetus but i feel like there always was it's just a matter of did you choose to make it part of your conversation that you were having with your, you know, pulpit, so to speak? Is it, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I think as you sort of started to say, and Chris Weber made a great point of it, if not now, when, and I really admire the players for using their stand. And it's the sort of thing where, you know, a lot of people may think, well, what does this really accomplish? And it, it was a ripple effect with other sports. You're still I mean, as it was said, what, by Anthony Davis, I believe, maybe it was Jalen Brown, I I can't honestly remember, but the sort of belief of, we're going to hold the owners to this. We still can choose to not play. And you can talk about the CBA, but the fact of the matter is I find it very hard to believe that the NBA would say, yeah, you're going to have to forfeit a game or uh, you, you know, in a a sport, in an employment that's 75 or employees were 75% black. I don't see the NBA saying, I can't believe you were striking about why black lives are important. So it's, <laughs> but you know, I, I know, and you were saying how we've talked about this before and we have, and I don't say that begrudgingly. I say that despondently. No, it's, it's, yeah, yeah I, I was about to say that's, that's the right word for it. Yeah. And I, you know, the one thing that has been the most pressing to me this entire week, and it's, it's been a theme for that maybe the dawn of time, but it's just this, this culture that we have of victim blaming where it's consistently, a, it's finding people at their most vulnerable and asking logical questions about illogical situations. You know, I mean, it's a sort of thing where you bring up someone's past and it has no effect whatsoever on the present when a situation arises. And can I just point out, I th- I think you're you're bringing this up uh, in in reference to Jacob Blake, the man who was shot seven times in the back. But you can also say the same thing about the NBA players um, and the criticism that they have gotten for first um, striking, um, kind of out of the blue, and then like going back to play. Th- like there, there's been criticism, I think, coming at them from all angles, and I think it. There, there is a there is a lack of putting yourself in the shoes of someone who does not um look like you and come from where come from where you may come from in in all of this in any of these critiques and which is why i that i guess maybe that's the part that that not it doesn't nothing surprises <laughs> I wish I couldn't we go back to the time where the shit surprised you. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> um, but no, we're, we've we've passed. Anyway, um, the, the thing that I guess bothers me is that there is such a rush to um, have the takes um, 
And I, you know, we, we, we've so we're so far gone from a time when I don't know if this ever existed where people would just sit back and just say, you know what, let's just, let's just chill out and appreciate, not appreciate. And, um, just, just try, try not to judge is maybe that, uh, is that the best way to put it? I don't know, but yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. Um, and it's just, you know, it's, 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 it's annoying and it, it takes away from like a lot of like being able to just go about your day because the stuff, you know, if you're a certain type of person, it sticks with you. Um, and then on top of that, uh, Chadwick Boseman died, which is like, and I find it kind of related because, you know, we, we I feel like as the days and months and years go by, we, we have so we have fewer and fewer examples of people that we could prop up and be like, this is, this is a good person as opposed to everybody else. Um, and then to lose that person was just like really, uh, you know, kind of, it's the twisting, the twisting the knife once it's already in, maybe that's the proper analogy. I don't know. Um, so yeah, I don't know what else there is to say. I I wrote this week that I I'm kind of out of words. I don't have the words. Maybe they're there. I, I don't have them, but yeah, that's all. Yeah, anything, I, anything else from you? No, you know, I mean, I I kept spending this entire week thinking of what to say. Because to be candid, this week was tough for me. Just quarantine kind of got to me this week. And it overlapped with what was going on in the world. And it all kind of just... Uh, oh, shut up, cat. Sorry. My, my cat loves... My cats agree with me, actually. So I shouldn't tell her to shut up. Um, You know, it, it's just... Cats are great. She's yeah, they, they can be. Yeah, this one's pretty good now. Um, but yeah, so I, I you know, I, I thought long and hard about things to say, and I know what I want to say, and I just don't. I just kind of think, you know, maybe I'll say them another time, but for right now, it's I, I kind yeah, it's just like, what is there really to say, you know? Um, I don't, and I don't know. Yeah, no, I. <laughs> It's, this is the point that we've gotten to where two, two people who are, I like to think both of us are fairly intelligent are just like, yeah, I don't know. That's it. That's, 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 that's where I'm at. Um, I'll I'll just, I'll just say this. Sure. Um, Please. So obviously as people are aware of uh, Jacob Blake and the entire situation that arose there, um, I read a really fascinating anecdote from a reporter. He used to be a reporter for the Yankees. Uh, His name's Coley Harvey. And he tweeted out a story about how he wanted to take a cross-country road trip. And he lived in Chicago and he was heading west. And his concern was getting pulled over by the police. He's black. And he didn't even make it 24 hours before the police pulled him over. Uh, the crime, or the, the reason, was driving while black. And he was told to step out of the car. Things uh, certainly got uncomfortable. There were questions being asked of him, you know, who are, where are you going? Who are you staying with? Why are you going to these places? Things that just were not necessary whatsoever. I mean, he wasn't doing anything wrong. And he was written a ticket and uh, he complied. He's very fortunate because everything turned out all right. He managed to get out of that situation. And I was just thinking of that, that whole experience. And it made me think of my roommate who also, uh, he's white, and he decided to do a cross-country road trip himself. And somewhere in the middle of, I think it was South Dakota, he was driving 114 in a 65. Oh, Jesus. And the officer pulled him over. And my roommate is, uh, he's a very good Southern boy when he wants to be, so he can turn on that Southern charm. That's great. 
Uh, and he said, you know, well, uh, sorry, officer, you know, I was speeding and I shouldn't have been, I'm doing a cross country road trip and there, there was no excuse. And, and he and the officer got along famously. He still got a ticket cause he was driving almost double the speed limit, but it was a sort of thing where it was all fraternizing. It was fine. And as I read the story about Coley Harvey, you know, some people could think, well, maybe it's not black and white, right? Maybe it's just the luck of the draw with the person who pulls you over. There are two Americas. There's the America where someone like Jacob Blake could be shot in the back um, and they could say that he's trying to reach for a knife and really he's checking on his kids. Or Philando Castile, who's sitting in the front seat of his car and says, I do have a gun. I'm a licensed owner and still gets shot anyway. And then you have um, this murderer. I don't really feel the need to name them. I think it only um, makes them stronger. Um, in Wisconsin, uh, killing people, 17 years old, illegally owning or using uh, an automatic weapon, uh, has the privilege of going home and turning himself in the next day. Or in South Carolina, when a black church gets shot up and the shooter there is taken into custody, but hey, does he want Burger King? Let's get him Burger King. So I lied. I, there is stuff that I want to say. And, and I think that I just watched, I just finished watching Watchmen. And for those of you who have not seen it, it was really one of the best things I've seen in a long time. I, I'm, I mean, I've been meaning to watch that. I will, it's, I will pull it up and, and, and dedicate the time. It's so good. It's, I mean, it really, I, I the way that they're able to tackle racism, white supremacy, police brutality, um, science fiction, and just all being really compelling is great. But there was one thing that really stood out to me. And it's when one character says, why, oh, why do they need to keep making their godforsaken bombs? And the response was, this may appear paradoxical, but they make them feel safe. And it's just this over-reliance on law and order where we're funding a social program. Uh, I'm sorry for anyone who's anti-socialist, but that's, it's a social program. And the ability to spend lavishly on all of these militarized weapons that don't get used just so we can uh, show how strong we are. It's just fucking bullshit, man. I mean, there, we have so many issues in New York alone. The crime is insane. Mental health is up a Creek. There's tons of drug addiction. It's just, it's a nightmare in Manhattan. Um, and that's, that's obviously something that needs to be taken care of by people who are not in the police department who know how to handle these things or helping with job training in the midst of a pandemic. So when things do start to return back to some semblance of normalcy, we do have people who are more prepared and a better workforce. It's just, it's things like that where it just really got me thinking. So, um, you know, I, I I'm ready to discuss basketball. I could talk about this for hours. I'm very, no, I, I know you can I tried to, obviously make this more of a basketball podcast, but no, um, I'm listen, here's the, here's the, the, the only part that I guess, and we'll have to move on after this. The only part that's upsetting to me, and let's see how succinctly I can put this is you could sit here for an hour and you could talk about, um, rational reasons why the things, uh, that are the way they are, uh, should not be the way they are and how they are. It goes against common sense. Any person listening to you, um, whether they agree with you 100% or they completely disagree with you, it, it, we all, as forget it, you don't even need to be smart. You just need to have a working brain. You could rationalize anything. You could rationalize um, any argument pro. You could rationalize any argument con. 
Um, I mean, try, look, I went to law school. It's, it's what you learn how to do. You learn how to how to make people think the way you want to think. But ultimately, it's it's up to it's up to each individual person. Um, and I I, I guess where we're, we're at we're at a point where you can no longer give yourself over to considering um it, i i mean the us as a society we we don't we no longer and i i mean this for people who are on the left and the right we we no longer allow ourselves to to think about the possibility that someone on the other side has made a point that is cogent and, and maybe correct. Um, because if we do, it's a betrayal of all these other values that we hold. And that's why we're as divided as ever. And that's why, you know, you could have, it doesn't matter how many different, you know, 17 uh, year old white kids going up and down the street with, I don't know what the name of the gun is, but whatever the, the, the big gun that you, you, should not have um there there you will have people out there who will who will um rationalize that as a as a thing that is okay um you know and i and i guess you know i don't know how we 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 go back uh up that slippery slope um because we've been down it for a while and that's why i like i don't know i just i'm just god i'm I'm so much more hopeless than i used to be um I don't know. Maybe this election cycle or something in the future will will change my thinking. But it's um, yeah, we we've lost we've lost the ability to have conversations about things, and to actually think about things critically. Um, and that's not that's not it's not really where where you want to be as a society. Um, and on that note, <laughs> we'll get on this basketball podcast about basketball and in particular crappy basketball team. Um, let's, uh, let's, let's get to, um, something else. We'll go from depressing to, I don't know what you call talking about Kristaps Porzingis, but we want to talk about Kristaps real quick. Yeah. I think it's important that we touch on it. <laughs> so Kristaps, uh, the Mavs are actually playing right now. Um, I think the third quarter has started. We're recording this on Sunday afternoon. Um, he's not, Kristaps is not playing. He did not play. Uh, he didn't play game four or five, right? He, he's missed two straight. Yeah, he's played two and a half games. There you go. Um, and he will not, if there, I, I don't know what's going to happen. He's not going to play game seven. If there is a game seven, um, I mean, who knows if they move on, what's going to happen there? Um, because he has a partially torn meniscus in one of his knees. I, I don't know at this point, does it matter which knee it is? Because um, there's the, the, the list is growing. Kevin O'Connor had a few good tweets to this effect. Shout out to him. Um I am going to, like I told you, have a, a bit of a more in-depth conversation with JB later this week, and I'm also going to write something about this. So I'm not going to say a ton on KP, um, but I do want to give you the floor because uh, I know you have some some thoughts. So please, Mr. Cohen. Yeah, sure. Um, so there are nine players who are at least seven foot three who have appeared in uh, 300 plus NBA regular season games. Of course, you're going to start off with this, something like this. I love you. Keep going. (laughs) Love you too. Uh, It's really 10 if you count Arvidas Sabonis, but I don't because he played in Europe for such a long time. But so for the nine that played their NBA careers or their careers in the NBA for longer, um, the average was 663 games played. That's about eight seasons of basketball. And uh, that's about 10 years per career. So KP 
has now accrued five NBA seasons and he's played in the equivalent of three. So basically he's behind all of these tall players. The bottom line here is Porzingis, when healthy, is a very good player. Is he worth a max? Probably not, but he's close. Can I just say, I I do want to jump in there. I think it depends on the situation. If you're a shitty team and you're trying to not be a shitty team, I think there's a much better, meaning the Knicks, I think there's a much better argument that you don't want a guy who is a giant injury question mark on the on a max contract. I would actually argue that the, the situation in the league or one of the two or three situations in the league where it is most feasible to have him on a max is when you have a guy like Luka Doncic who just by virtue of playing whatever, 70 some odd games, is going to lead your team to... If not fifty wins, he's you're going to get to the playoffs. So I I I just want to add to that little caveat that I think it depends greatly on the situation. Sure, I'd say the one thing though, since you brought up the Mavs, they're a really fascinating story because of the fact that they did max out Porzingis and they've got Luca on a rookie contract for two seasons after this one. Do I and hear opportunity goal. cost coming? <laughs> well, maybe because their goal is going to be to land a max free agent in 2021. And if they don't do that, then they'll never be able, and by never, I mean, as long as Luca and Porzingis are still in the books together, they won't be able to land a free agent who's worth a max deal. And that's incredibly problematic, especially if the salary cap decreases or does not continue to increase. And if that's the case over not just this upcoming year, but the year after. So the reason I bring that up is because you know, when you evaluate the trade, I've always kind of felt that this was a great win now trade for the Mavs. Uh, it's probably not a win later trade based on the fragility of Porzingis. And I mean, you said that it doesn't necessarily matter which knee it is. I'm no doctor. but I'm <laughs> Oh, fall. you don't and say. <laughs> here's what I'm going to say. It's the, the fact of the matter is that Porzingis is in a very tricky position because and I did read something about this written by a doctor, so I feel I feel okay saying this. That's really um, the same thing. I mean, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and like I've said before, or at least maybe not on this podcast, but I work with people who are going to become doctors, so I'm basically a doctor myself. Point being, um, with Porzingis, he can't add weight. He can't add much weight, or else the stress that will be on his ligaments and his tendons could be problematic. And he's anemic, so it's hard for him to add weight anyway. And as I just said, with all the players who are that long and that big, I mean, he's the best shooter out of all of them by far. There's no competition, but it's again, it's it's staying power. It's the ability to stay healthy and work around other players. So if we cycle back to the Knicks, it's the sort of thing where there's a very big concern in my mind of Porzingis on a max deal with Hardaway still, this same team pretty much. And it's just it's just ugly. Like, who is going to trade for Porzingis right now on a max contract? That's a you know, so I, I have this. I told you I have this article in the hopper. I think I'm going to have it on Tuesday. Um, I'm ending it on like with the open question of like how many teams would take Porzingis right now on a max if they could assuming it does assuming it doesn't require them to shed um like important core pieces that of of their team and i i genuinely don't know the answer like i i 
not you know, not just what teams would be interested, but what teams would be interested, and the Knicks would want the package coming back. Well, that's for me the, the other thing. Because again, so I try not to view the trade um, as, along with um, with free agency. I don't see them as two peas in a pod. But for fans who uh, who do, and I mean, I, I don't blame those who do because of the fact that the belief was, hey, let's open up double max space and get two guys in here. But even if you look at it that way. And you're renting out your cap space. And we just saw Marcus Morris uh, do more shenanigans today, getting ejected. <laughs> yes, the, um, those, were, those were some <laughs> shenanigans. So I look he karate chopped Luca's neck. <laughs> Can I just say that? <laughs> and he didn't even get a flake or two. God bless him. Yeah, yeah. So, but look, the Knicks got two first round picks from the Mavs. And they got a first round pick for Marcus Morris. And they got Detroit's 2021 20, second round pick, which is... I think it's fair to say the early front runner for the 31st it, pick. It is. Which means that you're one pick off from it being in name only a first round pick. So if it's four first round picks, essentially, to get rid of Porzingis's contract or what you were going to pay him, uh, getting Hardaway off the books, who obviously is thriving in a tertiary role when as a secondary or primary option, he was not very good. Um, Lee, you know, is kind of a wash and Burke was a free agent at the end of the year anyway. I know that quality and quantity are not the same things. I would much prefer a star versus that package. But again, availability is the best ability. Yes. And so for Porzingis, again, it's it's not so much against him. It's just merely what he is and his ability to play and tying up 30% or you know 25%, I guess, is probably more accurate, of your salary cap on a player who has so many question marks and may not be able to stay healthy all while you're focusing on your alpha in Luca and trying to build around him, but then he's going to need a huge contract. It's just, I think Dallas fans, I understand that this was a deal that they wanted to make, but there's a lot more risk than I think they may understand and how it affects their long-term future as well in terms of getting players while Luca's salary is so low. And they've spent a lot of that money on high quality rotation players, but no one who really moves the needle. Yeah. So th- that's kind of how I see it with them and with the Knicks and why, again, like both teams can win the trade. Both teams can lose the trade. It was the Knicks were never going to be winners right away unless you're connecting it with the next summer, uh, which obviously didn't work out well. So at this point, it's just let's draft and develop. And if it leads, if any of those picks leads to a star, whether it's acquiring one uh, or trading up or just. Walt Perrin doing Walt Perrin things, then the conversation is very different. I, I, I guess my, so the conversation that has happened on Twitter the last several days is like, again, around winning or losing the trade. And I, that's the crux of what I'm writing. And I won't give away completely what the point of the, of my piece is, but I think there are, it, it can't just be a conversation of when, who won the trade and who lost the trade. It has to be like, th- there's the conversation of, should the Knicks have traded him period? And I think we're at the place now where it's like reasonable minds could differ. I think you could say, yes, absolutely. You could say, no, you don't, you don't, when you're so short on talent, you don't give up on a player of that. That's that good. Um, But then there's the separate conversation of, okay, whether they should or shouldn't have, let's look at the package that they actually got. And that's the one that I, and I'm not going to give away what I'm going to say, but it's, I'm pretty steadfast that they, 
whatever listen, whatever happens with the picks, whatever magic wall parent can pull, whatever trade package they can put together, whatever you want to say, it's it's not nearly as good a package as they should have been able to get because they prioritize cap space. And that gets us to how forgiving or not forgiving do we want to be to the people that made that decision. Um, but, but how do we know? Well, that's, we don't know. We don't know for sure. And we will never know for sure what intel they had when they made the trade. But we do know. We do know that Kevin Durant is not a Nick. He did not sign with the Knicks. That we do. Right. We know but, but that. But also, at the time of the trade, Kevin Durant was completely healthy. Yes, I know. And look, that's why it, all of this is messy. It's all messy. It's all messy. And there's yeah. no way to unmessify it after the fact, um, which is why I think people focus on the here and now, which is Porzingis has now missed whatever it is, three and a half straight games, um, which is fine. It, it it all matters. It all factors in. But I just I guess I'm a little... I'm a little trepidatious of of treating this all like one conversation because there are like three different conversations. There's the conversation of should is this the best use of Dallas's assets or or, or, let me rephrase that. Is this the best use of Dallas's cap space? Um, I don't know. I mean, we'll see. You know, what would Porzingis get on the open market? That's another conversation. It's all these different conversations. Um, And I just... You know, it's going to be years before we get a chance to write a true retrospective on this. And then the other last thing I want to say, the other unknown that we can't know is, you know, uh, I feel like everybody, I can't believe I'm about to say this. Everybody wants to make Porzingis out to be the bad guy. And look, he seems like an elite douchebag, like true elite, absolute capital D douchebag. But I think a lot of players in the NBA are guys that, you know, maybe, I mean, there are obvious exceptions, but are maybe guys that you wouldn't want to hang out with. So to use that as the reason why we had to get rid of like, and, and how much went into turning a guy who was maybe a little sour in the organization and, and making it like a lot more. Again, these are things that we can't know for sure. So it's complicated, it's messy, it's going to take time to figure out, but yeah, I, I, that's that's all I want to say. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. It is messy. It's definitely complicated. <laughs> it's, it's te- like his knee, like his knees. It's but messy. Again, when the Knicks had the opportunity to trade him, it, it, this is how I look at it. The Knicks knew that a partnership couldn't really move forward and they had one opportunity to really trade him post fill years. Um, and that opportunity was, okay, well, we either can trade you before the deadline or we risk losing you for nothing. If you sign the qualifying offer, I don't think he would have, but it's still something that could have happened. I, I think um, at that point they should have, tra- I, I have never wavered on that point. At, once they got to that point, they should have traded him. I, that I will. Con- point. At the point that on the day they traded him, once they got to that day where things stood, that things had been gone so far in the wrong direction, regardless of whose fault it is, that's again, that is part of a different conversation. The part of the conversation that is on whatever the day it was, January 31st, uh, 2019. A day that shall live in infamy. <laughs> should they have traded him on that day? Yes, I, I think they should have. Yeah. Um, my, my daughter is over here sniffling. Come here, hon. What do you want? 
my daughter's crying and I just asked her what she wanted and she snuck around. She like slugged off around the corner. I have no idea what this child wants. Uh, I think she probably had the, uh, the Mavs money line. <laughs> I'm a, I, so I don't, like I said, my podcast studio is not in front of a TV, so I don't even know what the score is right now. Are they getting it's, killed? Uh, it's currently 8365. Oh, okay. So okay. I think your daughter's just reacting. She may be, yeah, she may have put a few, uh, few ducats on, on the, uh, on Dallas. <laughs> anyway, uh, pop- <laughs> a few popsicles. <laughs> anyway, continue. I'm sorry. No, no. I mean, again, I, I know that you and JV are probably going to get into it. And then I imagine that because this is an off season and we have weeks and weeks of draft coverage to have that we'll probably follow up on that conversation as well. But again, I, I, I'm just happy that the Knicks aren't in a position where, how do I phrase this? We have to worry about this guy's fucking knees. Yeah. You know, I don't, I think that there's a difference between, um, losing and not winning. If that makes sense. (laughs) Like, like you could, I, I sure I'm trying, to, I'm trying to think of the words and how to describe it because there's a certain thing where it's like you but the, could be so much worse off with one thing but you're better off but you're still not in a great place with the other and that the latter is where I feel like the Knicks are at right now and I'm okay with that you know like I saw a meme it was a Mavs fan who was posting about how the Mavs are in the playoffs and the Knicks aren't and I'm thinking isn't that kind of the point right now like Knicks fans we we want the team to be good eventually but I would say from what I've seen, and I know Twitter is not the most accurate and not saying Reddit is either, but I think a lot of these fans know that getting a high draft pick in next year's draft is a very crucial thing towards the organization that we all want to see the team win, but we set ourselves back with the Porzingis trade. So we just have to deal with it. And it's another year or two that's delayed, but we're going to build there and we're going to get there. And who knows, maybe the team actually does decently next year depending on who they acquire well but yeah no than that it's like yeah the te- the knicks are like they're bad they were supposed to be bad we were kind of at least i was hoping for them to stay bad of course then you could get into the whole tanking thing which you talked about last time so who knows but again that's that's the sort of thing Look, where i'm not ready for the playoffs i'm happy he's not here anymore i i, I just want that out there i don't like he i don't like him as a like from what i could tell I'm happy he's not here. I, the last thing I wanted was to have to worry about his health in per, like going forward. I just and didn't. His brother. And the, that too, although again, people have, every, people in the league have, like different players in the league have like guys like that. Like the brother, again, clearly a schmuck, clearly an but asshole. His, his brother, and I've said this before, his brother looks like if you crossed Christoph Waltz and a potato. That's what he looks like. I, I am aware of that, and nobody needs that. So no, no one needs, no I'm at, needs I'm happy he's here. I just I just wish maybe we had a little bit more to show for, but that, that's fine. We can move on. <laughs> um, okay, so the last thing we want to talk about today is um, there has been some rumors this week. Um, so you te- you were texting me. He's like, you you said I, I figure we'll talk about some of the rumors. I'm actually not even sure what rumors you want to talk about. Um, I just, you know, the one thing that's interesting to me, and I'd love your thoughts on this. I would love to give my thoughts on this. I feel like we went through such a long time of hearing nothing, absolutely nothing. And then the lottery happened and now we're hearing everything. That's true. And it's fascinating to me how that can work. Uh, And who's reporting these stories? So like, you know, I mean, we, we heard about Bertans and we heard about Holiday and, 
Um, I think there, there may have been something else that you wanted to discuss. It's, there's a lot going on and yet I'm really not sure how much of it, you know, they're rumors. That's simply what they are. We don't know how they're leaking. I mean, for example, like with holiday, I know that some fans might be against that type of signing, but I look at him and I say, okay, well, what if you figured out a way to sign him to a two year deal? And you on draft night traded Reggie Bullock and that way you got an asset for Bullock and you essentially replaced him for, with Holiday uh, in the in free agency. And then from there, um, what could you do? You could keep him on your roster the following year or you could trade him as an expiring piece. Th- things like that where it's just like sure. there are a lot of intricacies here. And I know you talked about Bertans and how you maybe don't feel that that's um, – uh, that's that likely. And I agree because I don't think it's, I don't think the wizards are going to give up on him. I think that the Hawks are probably just going to up the ante to the point where they're making a division rival be disastrous in terms of their salary commitments. It, it's just all very coincidental. Just, I, I don't, um, I don't think Bertans is going anywhere. I think, I think the wizards are going to keep Bertans. Um, but I think, I think it, from, so what, What's today? Today is um, August 30th. So it was going to be a month and a half until uh, or roughly a month and a half until NBA free agency started. Now, I don't know. Is it going to be November 1st? Um, the league hasn't officially pushed the draft and the free and the start of free agency back yet, but they they will. Um, I think between now and whenever free agency starts. Um, and actually, I would even go further like now and whenever the draft starts, because I think the Knicks thinking with both the draft and free agency is the same. Um, I think there is a baseline of when in doubt, um, ask yourself, is someone a, a guard or a wing who can shoot? And I think they are approaching this offseason um, somewhat simply in that, like, if you are a guard or a wing and you could shoot, you're going to be potentially of interest to the Knicks. And I think they're going to go up, you know, um, any number of trees to try to accomplish that. And I think they're going to cast a wide net um, because they're in a position where they could do so. They have a lot of cap space. They have a lot of cap space to spend. They have some tradable assets. And then as far as like the trade stuff goes, I think like for months and months and months, we and you, well, me at least, I don't know if you've been as, as well, no, I think you're kind of, you've been kind of with me on this. We've been operating under the presumption that so, come hell or high water, somehow, some way, they're going to figure out a way to get a name on this team before next season. And I think there were a lot of reasons we thought that at the beginning. I think, you know, the the hiring of Leon Rose, um, just the fact that it was him as opposed to a guy, guy like Sam Presti or whatever. Um, and then, you know, I know personally, I thought that maybe Dolan would be worried about filling seats at the garden next year. Um, and now that's not, doesn't appear like it's going to have to be a worry. And I also, the way that Rose has gone about assembling his front office and the coaching staff and everything, it really does seem like he is like, this is, he has taken his time. He is, is his a measured approach. All of this is to say, 
I no longer think that that it is going to be like get someone here who could you know quote unquote sell tickets come hell or high water. I think they'll be in on talks for any you know name guys that come up, but I just. I don't get the sense that they're going to overpay and I don't get the sense that they're going to do something stupid that wouldn't, that is not going to benefit them in the long run. Um, yeah. I've, I've gotten to that same point as well, where I too thought what star are they going to get? And now it's kind of this thought process of interesting, like with Tibbs back in his first year in Minnesota, they're just going to kind of throw everything at the wall, see what sticks, maybe try to get as much star talent out of 2021's draft as possible see how free agency goes and maybe they make a trade to a company, a free agent, that sort of line of thinking. And I think that's great. I would love to see that happen. I would, I think that's fantastic. You know, again, I, the odds of seeing Barrett and Robinson and this year's pick and two picks next year and the 27th pick this year, like the chances of seeing all six of those on the same roster are incredibly slim and that's fine. I so agree long with as that, it yes. brings you the talent that can elevate it, that can elevate the players around you and the team as a whole. And I think that's what they're going to do. But if you ask me who that is, I would have no idea who it is because based on how everything shook out with the most recent free agency, what players are really that desperate to get out of their situations? It's a very dull time and it forces the Knicks in so many ways to focus on themselves first kind of like this self-care idea as opposed to going out to um like start dating again just like work we're working on ourselves, and that's great that's fine so focus on that and when the time is right you'll find the right person and you'll make sure that it works out between you and um it'll go well from there or it won't but it's worth a shot no, as I, long as it's like a sustainable method of of going about it i think they I don't know. I, I've I've tried to really, you know, like look, the Knicks are gonna come. Their name is gonna come up in as it pertains to anybody who there's gonna be a rumor about wanting, like Oladipo. Like I, that's I'm writing about Oladipo for Monday, um, because I heard something about him, um, and I, I it would not shock me if. He was moved this summer. I'm sure the Knicks are going to come up in connection to him because why wouldn't they? Because they're the Knicks. They already have. Yeah. Well, they have. I know. Obviously, Ian Bagley reported um, that they were them. I think he reported that what? Them and the Nets were monitoring or was am I getting that confused with the Levine report? There's so many reports. Um, I think they were that he if he were available, they would monitor. If I recall correctly. Yeah, that's whatever. That that sounds accurate. It was Bagley at it first and um there was a bleacher report um, thing that came out recently, which said that an Eastern conference executive said that he thought um, Oladipo would be moved this summer. He bet that Oladipo would be moved this summer. So like his name's going to come up now. What are the Knicks going to do to try to get him? I don't think they're going to do anything stupid. I don't, I would be shocked if they traded this year's their lottery pick this year. And you know, in, in the past, that's exactly the and look, I'll watch her be egg on my face and they actually do this. But let me just say this in the past, that is exactly the type of thing the Knicks would do. 28 year old, two time all star. Um, who cares that he's on an expiring contract? Who cares that he just finished a year in which he was? I looked it up. 
in the sixth percentile of finishing around the rim. I I can't believe that, that this is the same guy that was like in the MVP conversation two years ago, but it is. He's not all the way back, clearly. Um, whether he ever gets back, well, who knows? But like, I don't think they're going to do that. I just don't think they're going to do something like that. I think they're going to, you know, they'll make their offer. I think they'll try to get him. And if it doesn't, you know, if it's not enough, it's not enough. But, um, you know, and that goes for anybody whose name, you know, if Levine's name hits the market, which I don't think it will. Um, you know, if it like whenever Embiid trade rumors start surfacing, because God knows they will, like the Knicks will be in on all of these discussions. I just don't think they're going to go crazy. I just, that's my gut feeling. I think the only reason you trade for a player like Oladipo, though, is if you have the intention of upping his value and then flipping him at the deadline, which is a huge risk considering his health, his performance, and the fact that you probably won't net more than you would in terms of getting him. Just because there's a big difference between trading him, trading for him for, you know, two years of his deal and then maybe like a year versus a year and a half a year. See, I, I disagree, actually. I think, think teams would be more desperate as a result. No, I, I don't think that. I think if they traded him for, or sorry, if they traded for him, they would trade for him with the notion that he would be bait for somebody else. Um, and if you follow my logic here for a second, part of the reason why I think like any any guy who has a potential to be an all-star that comes on the market at a potentially reduced cost, I think they're going to do an incredible amount of due diligence on because if they could trade for someone that has this all-star ceiling and that person comes out this year and actually looks like an all-star, and this 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 could go for Fred Van Fleet too, by the way, because if they just sign him and he plays like an all-star in New York, like whatever, they want to get that first all-star. I just don't think they're going to be desperate, but I do think they're going to make every effort to get that because I think then, assuming they haven't given up too much in a trade to get the person originally, or I guess by the same token, spent too much of their cap space, they will then be able to turn around and make the godfather offer for whoever, you know, and to me, Embiid is going to be the obvious one until he isn't, but, um, it's, you know, there, I'm sure there are other guys who will, who will emerge. So that's why I think that they would make a trade not to flip him. Yeah. But then you're looking at a, at that type of team or you're saying with Oladipo and Embiid, or you're just using I'm, as examples. I'm just saying, let's use Oladipo as an example, right? They would trade. So let's say they traded for him this summer and they gave up something that was not a lot. They gave up their the 27th pick in the draft and uh, the, the the Dallas pick and like Dennis Smith Jr. Some very low ball offer. OK, he would come here and hope like in a perfect world would look good. Maybe not like the old depot of two years ago, but he would look good. And they would be they would be whatever they are. They would be, a you know, I don't know. 35 win team, 36, 38 win team, something like that in the, in the playoff conversation until the end, Oladipo would then be entering unrestricted free agency. But at that point, I think their thinking would be, okay, we now have the ability to eat, you know, Anthony Davis might be on the market as a free agent, or we have the ability to now flip all of these assets that we have and bring in the big fish. To, and then re-sign Old Depot and then, you know, on we go. That's what I think they, they want to do, 
Whether they can do it or not is a different question. Also, and I know you know this, but that offer for Oladipo can easily be matched by the Heat or some other team that might be interested in him. The the primary reason why I don't think they're going to end up with Oladipo was because of Miami. Because I think Miami has better, maybe not better pieces, but I think they they will be able to put together a better trade package for him um, if they want to. And... Do they want to? My my guess is that that they do, but who knows? I think they would want to try to maximize their window with Butler as much as they could. And if that means, say, trading, uh, I don't know, Robinson, Nunn, and a protected first, they would do that in a heartbeat because of the belief that he would then resign. Like that's the other thing. I don't I don't see Oladipo necessarily resigning, and I don't see the Knicks committing that type of money to someone who has shown the. Um, the health factor that he has. It's, so, it's a risk, but again, I, th- but, but what, you, what is the, really the reward? Is the, the reward, the reward is that he you- looks like, even if it's 90% of the guy from two years ago, um, that's still a really good player. And is a guy that's probably worth, a, if not a max contract worth close to a max contract. Cause like that guy was a top 10 player two years ago. Right. But again, that was, before before a massively devastating injury that I've right. I've started to read up on and man that is it's just not what you want um, at all right so if it's not what you want and you'd be paying someone after that type of injury and I mean like, like in my mind there's no way and I, I, I could very easily be wrong here but there's no way that Oladipo the value that he brings on a max contract. That that value is anywhere near um, equivalent to what he would be earning. But it's so again. There's two parts of this conversation. One is you're not just paying. We we're talking about Oladipo, but you could very easily replace his name with somebody else. I know uh, what it, you're saying in terms of the process, right? Like you're it's, trading for that one guy. And you're you're, you're trading to- for the guy who's going to get you the next guy. Like is Paul, maybe this is not a great example because he's still quite a good player, but like was Paul George worth what the Clippers gave up for him and what they're paying him? I maybe, maybe not, Um, but it didn't matter because it's not even a conversation. What? Then it's it's totally worth it. Yeah, because it got them, it got them Kawhi. Now this, obviously the timeline would be different. You'd be banking on the second step coming much later. Um, you know, even say, same thing with um, the Wiggins love trade. Like that's not a trade in a million years that the Cavs would have made um, if had it not been for, you know, LeBron coming. But I guess the bigger point that I want to make is it it's all about what it would take to get the guy initially. Whereas in the past, I think, again, the Knicks were so desperate to just get anyone, they would overpay or over over you know put too much into a trade in terms of assets or whatever. I don't think this front office is going to do that. Um, I think, but I do think that they're going to be optim uh, sorry opportunistic to the point that if someone is available for a, a a price point that is low enough, I don't think that they're going to worry about like, well, where does this get us? I think that they trust, like, let's just make the smart deal, trust that the guy can succeed here, and then we'll worry about the next thing later. And if it doesn't work out, oh, well, we haven't given up anything that we weren't comfortable losing. 
Yeah. All right. So I just want to clarify one thing because I know that I'm saying no to the idea of Oladipo and I'm very curious to see what you have to read. It may change my mind. Um, but there's in my mind, there's a very, uh, there's a huge difference between trading for someone like Oladipo and trading for someone like a Donovan Mitchell type, just based on the oh, fact that, very, that, yeah, but, yeah, but we putting so, out there why, yeah. it's, why it's so different. The contracts you're paying for someone who is, um, essentially going to be in his pre-prime and his prime versus Oladipo, who I think he's going to be 29, uh, the year after he signs his contract, like you're hoping that he stays at the level that we saw before the injury. It's very different in that sense. But I've always been kind of the opinion, and the, the, the Carmelo trade really emphasizes, uh, for me at least, where trading for the guy first and then bringing and hoping that it attracts someone else, it's hard to do. If it's a younger player and you want him to be on your team long-term, then it works, like that Donovan Mitchell type, like any max a worthy player. Are you considering Melo the first guy? Yeah, I, I'm saying that the, what you're describing, I kind of look at as similar to the Melo trade where it's just like the Knicks got, and maybe fans might, some might hate me for this, um, but the Knicks essentially got a really great 1B. Oh, you're canceled. they did a 1A. You're, you're canceled. I and, See, I think the problem with that was that they, the guy that they lo- used to lure the second, I think they used Amare to lure Melo and the problem, although we didn't realize at the time, or maybe some people did, but um, those two guys play the same position and they're, they're not very good on the court together. Um, so yeah. I think that was the issue there. If, if it hadn't been a Mare, if they had signed, just li- live with me in an alternate universe for a second where instead of a Mare Stoudemire, they signed Chris Bosch and Chris Bosch is, a floor spacing five for them from day one. I, I know that, that was not ever going to happen because the NBA hadn't, you know, gotten to the positional revolution yet, but just for argument's sake, right. They do that. Mello comes in it, under a different coach, not Mike Woodson, who's more willing to play him or more st- stringent about him playing the four from day one. And there it's better managed and they, you know, they don't pick up Billups option and then they go out and sign, you know, another um, like a, a playmaker or something as the as like the third piece like that could have worked, but it, it didn't because it didn't work out for obvious reasons. Right. Uh, you know, I, I, I think there is something to just taking step one before you're sure of what step two is going to be as long as you don't give up too much to get step one. Yeah, I, I do see what you're saying in terms of Amari and Mello. Again, I think that Mello didn't really have the right pieces around him, but also Mello didn't maximize. So I, I, I blame both sides. I, don't also, I also don't want to necessarily rehash Mello, but so I'll move past it. The point being more just that committing money to a player or making a play for a player who, similar to Omar, I guess, has that kind of injury history, um, once was an incredibly prolific offensive player. It, it just... It feels like a, a high floor move. It doesn't feel like it moves your ceiling or raises your ceiling a bit. Um, I don't. I mean, look, I don't. If you if you go, if you think a quad injury is a two year injury, um, you know, two years will be January. I don't. I don't think it's. I personally don't think it's nuts to think that 
Oladipo bounces back to some version of the player he once was because A, of the work ethic, and B, we've never really had a young player suffer this type of injury. The only two ones that I'm, and I tried to dig, the only two ones I'm aware of were old Tony Parker and old Charles Barkley. Um, you know, It's so. not that I don't think he can be productive. I just question how it'll work with him on a four-year max starting at the age of 29. Well, but again, you're not trading for him on the max contract. You're trading for the right to have him play in your city for a year. And then if he looks good and you could pair him with someone else, giving him, giving no, him that max. I understand the logic. Again, it's just, it feels to me sort of like, okay, you've made this move. It's like a two part move. Does that, is that compute? Like, yeah, you're saying here's the first step. And then we're really going to hope for free agents again. And, and I'm not well, saying, I don't think it, it but it's, it, are we sure it's just hope? Like, come on, you, we know all of these, all the talking that's going on behind the scenes. And I'm not saying anyone's already committed to come here, but it's all depot enough to really move the needle. For I don't know. To say, hey, I'll if join it's, here. If it's 90% of the guy that we saw two years ago, then yeah, I think that moves the needle. That guy was, a, again, that guy was a top 10 NBA player. Full he stop. was. But again, I, I think I, I just look at 90% and it's like, is that, what is that 90% coming from? You know? I, look, maybe I'm, I could be completely wrong. And for what it's worth, I have asked around and I have not gotten that there is any Knicks interest in a possible trade. So, it, maybe there isn't and maybe they are going to maybe Leon Rose will be the other in the other direction and he will be so cautious as to wait until he will not strike until an opportunity he feels like has both the requisite floor and ceiling and it's not as and it's not that risky um maybe maybe he does but i just it would i don't know it would just surprise me if there was a buy low opportunity for a guy that had a ceiling like I still think he does and they, and they did not, and they did not buy low. Um, and I just want to be clear cause I haven't said it explicitly. Like I, like I'm talking about, well, I don't want to spoil my newsletter, but like I'm, I'm going to pitch a trade in the newsletter on Monday. That's it's, it's a low ball offer and I would not go above that. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I'm all for risks. I just want more calculated risks. I listen. I want. I, I'm, I know. You, I know you're not disagreeing with. Yeah. Me. No. I I want it too. But I do think. I do think that there are times where upside play. It, it's all about the cost. It's all about the cost. Sure. But I guess. And again, I, I feel like I'm. I'm. Uh, kind of coming at you and I don't mean to by any no I li- listen I li- I love when you do this if there's a low and maybe hey maybe this will help you with your article as you think <laughs> through it if there's anything more uh if there's a low ball offer and you expect it to go up are you is there really genuine interest um I think I think there is uh, I'm, I am this is where I'm not going to spoil my article um I think there are some unique circumstances with which may give the Knicks a a significant leg up in the right. in the situation. That's that's all I'll say. Where 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 they I'll just leave it at that. And you know, we'll 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 see what happens. Um is there anyone else that we wanted to talk about before we get out of here? Um Justin Holiday was mentioned or you mentioned him. That's I don't know. We'll we'll see what happens there. Um we mentioned Bertans um, looks like Carmelo's staying in Portland, which God bless him. Um, I don't, I don't really want him back at this point. And I don't look, say that 
Unless- I just I want him I want him to find happiness and uh I think that competing would probably be the best thing for his career but I'm not who am I to judge what he wants I just don't I don't know I, I don't see I think the door is going to be open and I do think he'll come back eventually it just won't be right now and the Knicks aren't ready for him as things currently stand I I, I'm just, I wish Carmelo Anthony all the best <laughs> in Portland. That is all I will say. Uh, I didn't say anything untowards towards Carmelo. Wonderful, wonderful part of Nick's history. Um, anyway. Yeah, I guess that's it. All right. Um, is the, uh, see, this is the problem of my having a podcast studio with no, maybe I'll put a TV up here. I'm sure my wife wouldn't mind that. Um, what's the score of the, is the, is the Clipper game over yet? Effectively, effectively, oh, wow! Now, but the the Mavs keep missing shots, and the Clippers keep hitting shots. It was very close to the beginning. <laughs> it's not, it's not the combination that you want, I guess. Right? No, no, it definitely isn't. So the Clippers just got the ball. They called timeout, and it looks like they're gonna come away with a win. Ball well, it's a fifteen static. point game with under two minutes left. If my phone is not lying to me. Um, because it, on, I mean, he's sitting down, so I don't know if he's going back in. Yeah, it's over. Timmy so. with f- four for 15, two for 11 from three. Uh, I, I, you know what? I think he might be picking up that option. I think he's gonna go ahead and take that $18 million check and, uh, go right to the old teller. Hello there. What? He, or no one else is going to sign him for that much. So yeah. Um, no, I, I do not. I do not think anyone is giving Tim Hardaway Jr. $18 million. Uh, I, I actually would be, I was about to say he's not getting that for two years. I, someone would give him, I think someone would give him two for 20, uh, probably. Yeah. Someone would give him two for 20, maybe even two, for 20, maybe even a little bit more than that. Um, okay. This has been, um, <laughs> I was supposed to say this has been fun. It's been, it's been, ed- it's just been educational, therapeutic, cathartic. Um, you know, all of the things you want for a lazy Sunday podcast. Uh, Jeremy, um, you are a scholar and a gentleman. I, uh, thank you for bearing your, your soul a little bit. And, um, anything else from you before we get out of here? Um, no, I guess just read the Strickland and we'll, we'll leave it at that. Yes. If anyone, I think there's a third week in a row, we'll do this, but we'll do it anyway. Um, go to the Strick dot land, very unique webpage name, but it works. Um, because there's just a ton of great content on there. JB, the return of the real, the one true Knicks film school. JB had a, had a video piece that of course we were texting about before the night before it went up. Um, that was good. You had a great piece with, uh, Drew, right? Um, yes. On, uh, was it, was your, there's so many, I, I get all the mall communities, the Fred Van Fleet piece, right? Yes. So yes. we did Van Vliet. We've got another player coming up soon. Ooh. And then uh, I don't know when it will be posted, but I'll have kind of an overarching uh, strategy, Brock Hard type article <laughs> uh, coming your way. So that, that was, it was Brock a lot Hard of fun to read. I think, yeah, uh, I think a lot of people, there, there's a possibility there could be some upset, but I'll, I'll leave it. At Listen, that. if you're not, can't, can't, can't bake the cake without breaking a few eggs um now i want cake or brownies i think the white brownies scholar a
Here's my daughter. Let's see. What do you think? Do you think my daughter wants to bake brownies right now? Um, Sass! Do you have an easy bake oven? Um, no. Is do they still make those? I think so. But again, really? I'm not the one with the child, so I have no idea. Um, I don't know. She must be doing something more fun than um than it would seem to be to her to come and talk to me, which is unfortunate that she's not even four yet and already I am not at the top of her list of fun things to do. Um, anyway, uh, everybody listening, thank you for uh, checking out another episode of the Next Film School podcast. Check out the Strickland. Check out uh, subscribe to the Next Film School newsletter. Um, I'll have another another full week of newsletters, as as is the case every week. And um, anything else? Um, no, just. Uh, Go make sure you're registered to vote and uh, at a place where you currently live. I had to change my voting address. Um, what did I say? A week, this week or last week? I don't know. The days are running together, but, um, you know, just everybody get that squared away. It's it's kind of important, regardless of where you live. It, every vote counts. Um, all right. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you again soon.